Please take your Bibles and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, chapter 18. Jeremiah, chapter 18. The title of this morning's message is The Potter Principles, Molding Your Life Potential. We have a, a break of sorts in the month of August for the next few weeks before we launch into a fall series of studies. We want to take a look at some specific messages that I believe the Lord has for us as a church. This message is for each of us and all of us because it comes from God's Word. But this morning, if you are facing a particularly uncertain future, or you're wondering about your future and what lies ahead for you and what do you need to be doing to impact or affect your own future? Or, if you're a person this morning who is plagued in your heart or in your mind by failure, a sense of something that you have done or that has happened in your past and you believe it continues to affect your present and it causes you to wonder, can God do anything with me? Does that ever cross your mind? It may have been something related to your job, your marriage, your kids, a relationship, or some other aspect of your life. And God's Word speaks to us today about our future and about our failures. Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 1, we read. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, and if that nation I warned repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. And if, at another time, I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had intended to do for it. Now therefore say to the people of Judah, and those living in Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says. Look, I am preparing a disaster for you and devising a plan against you. So turn from your evil ways, each one of you, and reform your ways and your actions. But they will reply, it's no use. We will continue with our own plans 
and each of us will follow the stubbornness of his evil heart. You ever felt like God was being too hard on you or someone you know or even on a particular people? I think Jeremiah had every reason to feel that way in the first 17 chapters leading up to this chapter. Again and again, God is pronouncing judgment on Judah. And it's tough. And the picture of the future that he gives is not rosy, it is dark. And it appears at first glance to be hopeless. And in the face of that, God takes Jeremiah, who was known as the weeping prophet, because of his compassion that he felt for his own people. And he sends Jeremiah to the potter's house. And he says, watch this guy. Watch what he does. And he uses that as a lesson and a message for the people of that day. And I believe for some of us, especially here this morning. There are four principles that I see in this passage that God is communicating to us who are concerned about our future or about our past. Each of these principles is based on this visual picture of what God is giving to Jeremiah. You ever wonder why I constantly try to do something visually, some creative element? Throughout the Old Testament, God does that, to speak his word and to speak truth, and this is no exception. Here's the first principle. When we think about molding your life potential, here it is. First, your life potential is not in your hands. You need to know that. Look again at verse 6. O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Now in an age of choice where our entire marketing efforts in our nation is designed to flood you with choices. You can't walk down the aisle of a store without having multiple options for the same item that you need. And all of them are trying to tell you why theirs is better. So in an age of choice, in North America in particular, when we have so many choices available to us and we are so blessed and so wealthy, this rubs us the wrong way to be told that my life potential is not in my hands, but that it belongs to someone else. But there's a lot of things you don't have any choice about. You don't have any choice, you're going to die. No choice, you have to eat. No choice, you have to sleep. No choice, you can't have everything you want. No choice, you cannot be everything you want to be. Contrary to what some might say. No choice, you cannot marry every girl or guy you meet, although some seem to try. No choice, you were made for God and your life is being shaped by him. I want to make three observations about this principle. First, the potter is not an impersonal force, but a patient father. In Isaiah 64, verse 8, another prophet would say, Yet, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of 
your hand. Your life is not governed by fate, by chance, by luck, by odds, or by the stars. Your life is not governed by a force like politics or society or race or sex or money. Your life is governed by a father. It is not something that's impersonal. It is intensely personal. Here's a second observation. The potter alone possesses the power to mold the clay. In Chaucer's Canterbury Tales, there's a story of a rooster named Chanticleer. And I want to adapt that story just briefly because I can't tell the whole story. But Chanticleer was a, a rooster who would get up every morning before the sun rose and he would go to the highest point in the barnyard and lifting his voice would yell out and crow cock-a-doodle-doo and then the first beams of light would appear on the horizon and then he would do it again and he would do it again and the sun would rise. And as the story unfolds, a series of incidents occur in Chanticleer's life where on one occasion he is not able to get to that highest point and he is not able to crow and the sun comes up anyway. And he's devastated. He thought he was raising the sun every day. He thought he was the one behind it. He thought he was the one that was causing the sun to rise. But when he realized that he couldn't take credit for the rising of the sun each day, he did know that there was something he could do. He declared, if by my crowing I cannot bring in the dawn, then by my crowing I can celebrate its coming. He can't take credit for the sun rising, and we can't take credit for what we are. The real significance is not in the clay, but it's in the value that the potter adds by shaping the clay. The third observation, the potter has a perfect plan for the clay to fulfill. He has something in mind for you. He's achieving something through your life. It may never measure up on a worldly scale, but God has a plan for you. We can never be afraid to trust an unknown future when we can trust a known God. I did bring something with me this morning, a visual. I try to do that. Now this is easy. I brought a piece of clay. Now I don't have a spinning wheel up here. Okay? In those days, they had two big stones, round stones, a rod between them, and they could kick one with their feet. They would take this clay, and they would slap it on the wheel and mold it as it spun, just like you saw in the video. And, and what you need to see is that the Bible is depicting you and I as just a lump of clay. I set it there and say, become a pot. You know, become a cup. Become a bowl. Become a plate. And nothing happens. But then the potter comes. And he can mold the clay. And, and any shape or anything that this becomes is purely a result of what the potter is doing to the clay. Not what the clay is doing to itself. 
And so our life potential, the Bible says, is like a lump of clay that has absolutely no capacity, no ability to form its own destiny, to form its own potential. It is the potter who determines that. So the first principle, it's him working the clay. He determines it, not me. Here's the second principle. Your life potential is not diminished by your mistakes, failures, flaws, or imperfections. Listen to verse 4. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands, so the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Did you know that Noah got so drunk he embarrassed himself in front of his sons? Abraham lied to protect himself from a pharaoh's interest in his wife, saying she was his sister. Jacob lied to secure control of the family wealth away from his brother Esau. Joseph lied to his brothers and scared them to death, if you remember that story. Moses killed a man and tried to hide what he had done from the authorities. Rahab was a prostitute before she placed her faith in God. Gideon hid in a wine press to avoid confronting his enemies. Samson was a womanizer. David committed adultery, then a murder to cover it up. And yet each of these persons appears in Hebrews chapter 11 as examples of men and women who walked with God by faith. Great failure. And yet, their potential, their life, was secure. When the potter works with the clay on the wheel, and I'm not a potter, <laughs> but it uses this interesting expression about the, um, the clay being marred in his hands. It's not that he did it, but somehow in the course of working it on that wheel while it's turning, there, there may have gotten a big air bubble in there. And if, uh, if that bubble gets in there, or there's all kinds of impurities. If it's not just a solid lump of clay and they put that in a kiln, what's going to happen to it, Yay! It's going to blow up. It's going to blow up. And so as the potter's working through that and he sees that it, it can't, it's not ready, it can't be done. So what does he do? Well, that didn't work. Boom. Slaps it down. Starts over again. Whatever it was about to become, it's not going to be, but he's not finished with it yet. You hear that? He's not finished with it yet. And I don't know where you are and you walk with God. But I can tell you this, if you're breathing, he's not finished with you yet. He's not. When the clay cannot fulfill its intended purpose, the potter simply starts over to mold it for a new purpose. Now, I cannot deny the mystery of that statement. But it is the truth of God's word. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10, he says, Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. There are Bible teachers that teach that the consequences of sin, that among the consequences of sin, and there are consequences, 
horrible consequences to what we have done. But there are Bible teachers that will teach that because of your sin, that the consequence of your sin will keep you from achieving God's purpose for your life. That's not what Jeremiah says. In fact, my God is bigger than that. He is a sovereign God. And if he has a purpose for your life, he's going to accomplish his purpose for you. He does not give up. He is patient. He starts again and begins anew. From our perspective, it may appear that we failed and that life would never be what it could have been. From his perspective, he is on course, he is on track, and God works in all things for the good of those who love him. He is at work. The second principle, your life potential is not diminished by your mistakes. Here's the third principle. You can dramatically impact your destiny. You can dramatically impact your destiny. You say, well, how can that be done if the potter's the only one that can mold the clay? And we can't, even, we can't even fix our mistakes. He just starts over and has something else new for us from our perspective. Listen to verse 7. Let me read this again carefully. If at any time I announce, and that means the instant I speak, this is God, the instant I speak, that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed. So what's going to happen in that nation? It's going to be wiped out. And he's announced it. And that's what he's telling Judah right here. He says, you guys are toast. It's over. You're going to be destroyed. The instant I speak that, at that moment, it says, and if that nation I reward repents of its evil, they hear what God says and they repent, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. Do they deserve it? Yes. But the moment they recognize what's happening, the moment they realize they are outside of God's heart and passion, the moment they realize they are disobedient and sinful and they repent, what does God do? He's got a new plan. The potter takes the clay and begins something new. And then he says another example, and if at another time I announce, and literally the instant I speak, at that very moment, it is a critical moment when God speaks and you know what he's about to do. That a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I intended to do for it. God has a plan for my life. I cannot determine the plan, I cannot set the direction, I cannot change the plan. So what do I control? Are you ready? It's real simple. Do I want his will or do I reject his will? Do I say yes to God or do I say no to God? The moment I recognize what he wants for me, what he's planning for me, I can say yes or I can say no. I can be obstinate of heart, or my heart can melt before him. You see, we live in an illusion on this side of heaven. On this side of heaven, we, we live in the illusion of time. We get old. Things wear out. We feel that intensely. And we have a beginning, and we have an end, and we've experienced the passage of time. But in eternity, there is no time. 
time as an illusion that we are part of and we experience it. And, and part of that experience is that right now on this side of heaven, I experience two wills in my life. Even the Lord Jesus did. There's my will and God's will. When Jesus prayed, he goes into the garden. He says, he says God, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Because he has a will and he really doesn't think this is going to be fun. And then at the end, he says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He goes in the garden with two wills, his will and God's will. He comes out with one. You know what that is? That's eternity. In eternity, there's only one will. Here we experience two, mine and God's. In eternity, there's only one will that's being played out. And the only choice I have is to become part of who God is and what he wants and what he is doing or to reject him. The fourth principle. Your responsiveness to God's voice is the key to experiencing God's purpose for your life. The instant I speak, he says. You can respond the instant I speak. Look at verse 10. And if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had intended to do for it. Now therefore say to the people of Judah and those living in Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says. Okay, now, now before I read this, realize he just gave two possibilities. I'm going to destroy a nation and they repent, so I don't destroy it. I'm going to bless a nation, and they behave wickedly. So I'm not going to bless them now. I'm going to destroy them. Okay? Those are the two options. Those are the two options. So now he says, look, you people in Judah and Jerusalem, look, I am preparing a disaster for you. Here's one of those scenarios I just gave you. <laughs> I am preparing a disaster for you and devising a plan against you. So turn from your evil ways, each one of you, and reform your ways and your actions, but they will reply. And this is the lie that some of you are, are believing right now. It's no use. We will continue with our own plans. Each of us will follow the stubbornness of his evil heart. I've messed up too much. I can't change. I can't get better. It will never be different for me. That's a lie. I don't care how old you are. I don't care what you've done. Your responsiveness to God's voice is the key. Self-imposed fatalism. So let me make this statement, though, in light of what we've read. I've said on one hand that your life potential is not diminished by mistakes, and I read about Noah and Abraham and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Rahab and so forth. But you need to hear this. A persistent disobedience can lead to a point of no return. You say, well, I'll, I'll get better someday. I'll get serious someday. I'll start obeying God someday. But you may not have that day. In the very next chapter, chapter 19, God does it again. He gives Jeremiah another visual. He says, well, let me just read it. Chapter 19, verse 1. This is what the Lord says. Go and buy a clay jar from the potter. Take along 
some of the elders of the people and of the priests. Okay? So he goes and he's got this jar. Now, verse 10. Then break the jar while those who go with you are watching and say to them, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I will smash this nation and this city just as this potter's jar is smashed and cannot be repaired. There is a point where an individual goes so far in disobedience that they are no longer responsive to God. They are hardened like a clay jar that is finished. And at this point, they don't care. They're not worried about their spiritual condition. If you're worried about your spiritual condition this morning, you are not here. This person doesn't care about their relationship to God anymore. They've gone so far for so long, they're totally unresponsive to Him. And God's plan and the possibilities are no longer available to them. They will not change. God gives them an opportunity. They will not change. God gives them another opportunity. They, they will not change. They will not change. God speaks to them through a Sunday school lesson. They will not change. God speaks to them through something they hear on the radio, the TV, or something they read in a book. They will not change. They hear a preacher. They will not change. And then there comes a moment in time where they cross that line, and then they cannot change. It's over. It's done. Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. And so this clay, if I left it here for a day or two, whatever form it was, it would harden, and I couldn't do anything with it. It'd be over. Final statement. You have to decide whether you are going to listen to God. Too many of us coast. The problem with coasting through life, coasting, thinking everything's okay because I trusted Christ in 1941 or 61 or 81 or 91 or 2001, so everything's cool. And we're just kind of coasting. We're not listening. We're not changing. We're not growing. We're not developing. And God speaks to you. And you know he's speaking. You have to decide whether you're going to listen to God. In verses 11 and 12, it closes this way. Now therefore say to the people of Judah and those living in Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says. And then verse 12, but they will reply, it's no use. We will continue with our own plans. Each of us will follow the stubbornness of his evil heart. Clay, after a while, will harden. And when it's hard, it doesn't change in its final form. The question is, will you respond to God's voice? Is your heart hard? Well, if I'm asking that question, you really don't give a rip. You don't care. It probably is. But if your heart is tender and the potter can shape, guide, influence, and direct your life, 
He can apply the pressure to your life. You feel it. <laughs> you feel it intensely. The wind of the Spirit blows over your heart and it leaves a deep impression. It touches you. It disturbs you. He challenges you. He calls you. He molds you. Will you respond to him? The Bible tells us that the problem that every person here has is that you and I are born with an inherited brokenness caused by sin. Generation has passed it to generation to generation to generation. And if you and I try to be better, be moral, be good people, well, that may be admirable to the rest of the world. It is absolutely worthless in your relationship to God. Because no matter what you do, that brokenness is still there, and the sins that you have committed are still there. And you can't do anything about it no more than a lump of clay can do anything with its own life. And the Bible says that the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world ultimately dying on a cross for your sins. And he died on that cross and, and he paid the price for your sins, the punishment your sins deserved. You couldn't do anything about that. But he also died on that cross to set you free from the power of sin. So that you would have the possibility, you would have the ability to grow and to change and to become more like Jesus Christ and less like your broken, sinful self. And all that he looks for you and me to do in the face of that good news, in the face of that gospel, is that we would come to him and we sing, I surrender all. But in effect, that's what faith is. We come to him, nothing in our hands, nothing to commend ourselves, nothing to brag about, we can't come with any successes. We can't come with anything except empty hands. And we come to him and we say, Lord, I believe that Jesus died for me on the cross and I'm placing my trust in him and what he did for me to save me and to change me. For the rest of my life, I surrender my life to you. It is a commitment, but it's more than a commitment. It is entrusting yourself fully to him so that he can call the directional shots in your life that he can direct you does that mean Christians are perfect because they've trusted Christ and surrender to him no but it means we're growing it means that he's at work on the inside the moment you put your trust in Christ the Holy Spirit of God comes inside that person indwells them and begins to shape and mold them ultimately conforming them to the image of Jesus Christ that's the goal. Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. It's how we worship. We respond to what God has said in his word. And if you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to come from the balcony or from down here. There'll be pastors standing at the end of each aisle. They'll answer your questions. We'll take all the time you need. We'll be here for you will show you in God's word. You can read it for yourself. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have everlasting life. We'll share verses like that with you. You can read it for yourself. He'll change your life. If you're a believer today, you already know Christ as your Lord and Savior, 
and he's speaking to you. In Jeremiah 18, he says, the instant I speak, the moment you know God is speaking to you, you've got to respond. And I don't know what that means for you as an individual. If there's 300 people sitting here, I have no clue what the Holy Spirit is saying to 300 individuals. (laughs) But the instant I speak, that is your moment. The only time you can trust God is right now. The only time you can be obedient to him is right now. What is God saying to you? It may not be about coming forward or kneeling at the front or praying or unloading a burden at his feet. It may just be bowing your head and, Lord, I've heard what you said to me, and my answer is yes. What is he saying? How will you respond? Our Father and our God, we thank you, Lord, for the way you speak to us through your word. We thank you, Lord, that in this moment, we know because your word has been shared that as you go out and you speak to our hearts, that we have this moment to say yes to you, to respond to you. And so, Holy Spirit, would you have your way among us right now in this room at this moment? We open our hearts to you. We ask you to guide us. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand with me?